Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au morning and Merry Christmas to you all. Why don't we all stand? So beautiful to see the house of God full this morning. Beautiful, just beautiful. What a great day to come together and to remember the reason why we're coming is to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we could all say hand on heart this morning that we can't get through life without Him. So let's uh, sing and praise together this morning. And just uh, also as we go through our day to be mindful of why we're celebrating together with our families today and just uh, keep on thanking Him for all the good things that He's done in our lives. So just a scripture from Matthew about the birth of Jesus and it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his, save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and birth, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to earth and you brought heaven to earth. Father, you are the God that saves us from sin. You're the God that leads us and guides us every day. So we thank you for this special gift of your son, Jesus, to bring him down to earth so that we could have life eternal and to have a relationship with Him. And we're just so grateful this morning. We just want to continue to thank you and claim your praises on this very special day, this Christmas day. We thank you. Bless this service, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Please sing together. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 1. The Bible says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church of Jesus Christ. And I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would fill this house, 
Fill this house with your glory, Lord God. As we dive into the word, Lord God, I just pray that this simple thought would become a revelation in our hearts that would change our eternal destinies. We know the power of one word, one touch from you, Lord God. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, just come. Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word, I pray. I recognize, we thank you that it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So be glorified today, I pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of uh, the Magi. Uh, The Bible records in Matthew that Magi came to Jerusalem and uh, to worship the king of the Jews, to worship Jesus that was just born. When Herod found out about uh, about this, the Bible says he was disturbed. How many people know that there are still some people that are disturbed about the name of Jesus? There, 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 are still, there are people in our society disturbed by even what we're doing here today. But by the grace of God, there is still a church that chooses to gather on, on Christmas morning and worship and glorify uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the name of Jesus. So he called his chief priests and teachers of the Lord together and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They replied in Bethlehem in Judah, for this is what the prophet has written. Matthew then quotes the Old Testament prophecy, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Question I want to look at this morning briefly um, is, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, is what's the significance of Bethlehem? Why was Bethlehem chosen to be the birthplace of Jesus? And more than that, what significance does Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem have for you and for me? So there's a few thoughts I want to take out of the scriptures and I pray that God will speak to all of us here today. Firstly, Bethlehem reminds us that God has a plan for our lives. Bethlehem reminds us that God has a plan for our lives. When Herod asked the question about where the Messiah was to be born, the teachers of the law said, said Bethlehem, and they were making reference to a prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Here is the same prophecy out of the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. Notice what it says, But you, Bethlehem, uh, Eparatha, Ephratha, one of those, all right, feel free. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come. Uh, for me, one who will rule, be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Notice how specific the prophecy is. Everyone knew it was a pro- prophecy about the coming Messiah. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come. For me, one who will be ruler over Israel. There's a lot of people who ask the question, how can we know that the Bible is real? How can we know the Bible is, what makes the Bible different from every other book? What makes Jesus God? What makes Jesus different from all the other religious gurus who say that they, they've got the answers? I tell you what one of, the, one of the differences is with Jesus. One of the things that makes Jesus different is the prophecies that were written about him in the Old Testament. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus. They speak about his birth, his ministry, his life, his death, and they aren't some vague kind of prophecies where you kind of got to dive in and try to make something up. They're very specific, and all of them came to pass. It's a powerful truth in and of itself. But you, Bethlehem, I mean, it's a very specific prophecy about where Jesus was to be born. And that in itself is a powerful truth. 
But more than that, what Micah's prophecy reminds us that God had a plan for Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born, God spoke about the plan that he had for Bethlehem, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was no accident. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that Mary and Joseph couldn't find an inn, couldn't find a hotel, hadn't, hadn't booked with Airbnb before they went to Bethlehem. Reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem is because God had ordained for him to be born in Bethlehem 700 years before it actually happened. And I want you to know something. I want you to know that you may feel like an accident. You may feel like you were born by chance. But I want you to know that even before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan for your life. That even before you were born, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. There's a couple of scriptures that we quote here at Life often, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11. I just love it for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Come on, some of us need to grab a hold of some of those, some of those words, some of these words, the prophetic words that speak about God's plan for our lives, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for your life. To Jeremiah, God said, before I formed you in the, moo, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet. Before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, God says, I had a plan for your life. Paul says to the Ephesians, for we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Science wants us to believe that we're here because of some cosmic accident, the Big Bang, that we're just here because of chance. We're the product of chance. The purpose of life is essentially the survival of the fittest. Try and run faster than everybody else in the rat race. Try and be stronger than everybody else. That's what the world tells us. What a pitiful reason to exist. What, 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 what a pitiful reason to exist. Just try and get more toys than the people next to you. Make sure your car's better, your house bigger. Make sure that it, you got more stuff than everybody else has got. It's no wonder that depression is on the rise because life has no meaning. I want you to know that like Bethlehem, God has a plan for your life. Come on, church. That, like, that just, just like God had a plan for Bethlehem, just like it was no accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you are not an accident. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. 700 years before you were even born, God had a detailed plan for your life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I started to hear these kind of verses and this kind of preaching, it stirred something in my heart as a young, as a young man. I just said, God, you know, if you've got a plan for my life, I want to know what that plan is. I, I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to follow my own plans for my life. Lord God, I, I want to, if I am your workmanship created in you to do good works before I was even born, I want to know what they are. And that's what I want to do. Now, I want to encourage you here today. You are not an accident. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your birth are. You are not an accident. You're here by divine appointment. And if you would just tap into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, He will reveal that plan to you by His grace and for His glory. Secondly, Bethlehem reminds us that God uses the small and the insignificant things. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. What's interesting is that Bethlehem was about 10 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the big city. Bethlehem 
was small by comparison. Jerusalem is where the religious leaders were. Herod was there in Jerusalem, where the chief priests were. And Bethlehem was just small compared to to the big city, Jerusalem. For me, this is a powerful statement. It's a powerful, powerful statement. It reminds us that God uses what seems small and insignificant. It's, it's, it's the way God works. It's the way that God operates. So many of us feel like we're nothing. We've got nothing to offer. Uh, we've got no skills, nothing of any value. I'm just small. I'm just insecure. I'm just a nothing. I'm a nobody. Bethlehem reminds us that God uses people that on the outside seem insignificant by His grace and for His glory. Can I hear an amen? It's a principle that runs right throughout Scripture. God uses the staff of Moses. Just the staff, it's a wooden stick. But ordained by God, it has the capacity to part the Red Sea. God uses the slingshot of David. God uses the jawbone of a donkey. God took some fish and bread and multiplied them and, 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 and fed thousands of people. God uses the small. God uses what seems insignificant to do great things in the kingdom of God. Jesus, in teaching a principle of the kingdom, said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took, planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it's the largest garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. It's a principle of the kingdom. Never underestimate the power of a small. Never underestimate the power of what seems insignificant. And the big difference that the little things can make. Jesus often said to his disciples, he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, become your servant. Disciples were hoping that Jesus would come, build a kingdom, build an army that would crush the Roman Empire. That would be bigger and stronger than them, that they would rule over and Jesus was saying, no, that's not what's going to make the greatest difference. No, that's, that's not what's going to make the greatest difference. What's going to make the greatest difference in the world is what seems to be small, what seems to be insignificant. It's the power of little things. It's the power of little acts of love. It's the power of those gestures, those small gestures. Sometimes we think what's going to make the biggest difference in the world is, you know, a position of power, a position of wealth, you know, a, a position of greatness. I mean, if we could just become really big and, and you know, like, you know, well-known, then we could make a big difference. Scripture tells us the complete opposite. Scripture tells us what makes the greatest difference in the world. It's the little things. It's the power of those little gestures, those kind words that make the greatest impact. It's the little things that we do that have the greatest impact in the kingdom of God. Many of us are here in the faith. Why? Because someone invited us to church. Many of us are in the faith because someone just said a few words about Jesus Christ. And now here we are in the faith. It's those little words that have made such a big difference in our own lives. It's the power of those little things. Never underestimate the power of a little gesture. Never underestimate the power of a little gift. Never underestimate the power of some words of love. Bethlehem reminds us that God can use you. Some of you have disqualified yourself from being used by God. You've convinced yourself you've got nothing to offer. The enemy's convinced you that you're too broken, too dysfunctional, not smart enough, not gift, not spiritual enough. You've got nothing to offer. You just don't measure up. Well, you know, if you could be like so-and-so, then, then, then maybe God could use you, but God could never use you. Enemy does that because he knows how powerful we can be. 
He knows how powerful we can be. And I just, I just pray that let Bethlehem encourage you and me to be used by God today. Come on, church. So let Bethlehem, let the prophecy of Bethlehem become a prophetic word over our lives. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, though you are the least among all the tribes, out of you is gonna come someone great. It's gonna be ruler of Israel. Can I hear an amen? Never underestimate the power of little things. Never underestimate the power of little things. Never underestimate the power of those little words to make a big difference in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, Bethlehem reminds us that God is the source of life. Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. For those who live in the eastern suburbs, the Italian translation is casa del pane. It's where we buy our bread from. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Bethlehem is the place where we find the bread of life. Jesus used the analogy of bread because it's, 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 it's bread that nourishes. It's bread that feeds us. It's bread that takes away the hunger. It's true in the natural and it's also true in the, in the spiritual. If you a few months ago, I, 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 I decided to do a keto thing. Anybody done the keto thing? Anybody been through the keto phase? You know, like, well, this one's going to change your life. So I did the keto thing. You got to eliminate bread and pasta. What's, the, what's left in life? You know, seriously. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Eliminate bread. Eat all the veggies you want. You can have lots of veggies. How many people know it doesn't matter how many veggies you eat, they just never seem to satisfy. They never eat the spot until you have a piece of bread. Especially from Casa del Pane bread. So then a nice Italian Sicilian bread that's just been baked. It's hot. You just broke it open. Oh, and you just eat it. Anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, let's get back to the message here. You know, you don't feel full until you've eaten some bread. Some bread. And like bread, Jesus is the one that takes away the hunger. He's the one who takes away the hunger. One of the things that we're looking for in life is to find the source of happiness. We've got to find it. It's somewhere out there. I know, I know that if we just get this or do this or do the other thing, we're going, to, we're going to finally be happy. All of us get up in the morning and we work and we struggle, we strive, because we're hoping that, that, that it's going to bring us to that place where we're going to finally say, oh, I, I, I feel satisfied now. The reality is no matter what we do, it seems to elude us. No matter how much we have, no matter how much we earn, it just never seems to be enough. It just never seems to be quite enough. It just never seems to hit the spot. It's interesting that every week, millions of people play cross lotto, hoping to win the jackpot because the jackpot's gonna make all the difference. Underneath that is a belief. It's a belief that says money will actually make me happy. Reality is it will never be enough. Come on, how many people know that to be true? Positions will never satisfy. Money will never satisfy. Pleasure will never satisfy. Jesus says, if you want to find the secret of life, come to me because I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm the water of life. And if you, if you come to whoever comes to me, we'll never go hungry again. We'll never be thirsty again. Once, once Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman and he says, once you drink of this water, you're never going to be thirsty again. It's going to, you're going to get to a place where you feel, wow, I feel satisfied. How true that is. 
I just love Psalm 23 and uh, shared on it this week at a funeral. But it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I lack nothing. It's just a beautiful scripture. It's a beautiful psalm that, that says about, you know, when, when, we, when we decide to invite Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, He brings us to a place where we feel satisfied. I don't need stuff anymore to make me happy. I don't need a bigger car, a better car, or a, or, a, or, a, or, a, or a better TV, or a bigger TV. I don't need that stuff to make me happy. I feel satisfied with what I have. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Stuff is all good. Nothing wrong with a bigger TV. We recently upgraded our TV. Check with our friends what size TV they had. Made sure we got the five-inch bigger one. You know, the 65, we went 70. It was on special. What could I do? You know, it was a bargain. It was a, it was a boxing day. So. Anyway, where are we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's something beautiful. It's something beautiful. You get to a place. When you, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and say, you get to a place where you say, man, I don't need anything else. Nice, a car would be nice, but you know what? I don't need it to be happy. I'm satisfied. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That speaks about peace. He restores my soul. That speaks about our mind and our emotions. Man, we, we know everything about how to make the body, blah, 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 blah. We still don't understand how to experience peace in our mind and peace in our emotions. The Bible says when He is our shepherd, when we make the Lord our shepherd, He restores my soul. He guides me along paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's why some people in third world countries where they've got nothing, but they've got Jesus, as some of the most happiest and satisfied people that you will ever find. Joe and I, we've been on a few missions trips to Burma and some of the third world countries, and I've been out there, and, and we've been to places where they've got nothing. You know, their church is not this at all, you know. Uh, they're just, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an open building, and it's got a roof on it, and they've got a chalkboard for, uh, for where the songs are written on there. That's all they've got, but they are worshipping Jesus because they've understood that He's the bread of life. They've understood something about who Jesus is. And yet us in our Western world with everything that we've got and every, you know, everything that we're, we're just not satisfied. We're still striving and looking for something else that's, gonna, that's going to finally satisfy. Bethlehem reminds us that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. That if you're hungry, go to Casa del Pane. And you shall be satisfied. I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I'm advertising them this morning. I've got to be careful here. Fourth thing that Bethlehem reminds us is that God can turn our pain into joy. Bethlehem is a town that is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. In particular, it's mentioned in the story of Ruth. It's a powerful story. I encourage you to read the book of Ruth. book of Ruth begins with the words, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem where there was a famine. And the Bible tells us they went to a place called Moab. Um, Naomi's two sons, they got married. Uh, one married 
Orpah, and the other one married Ruth. And in time, Naomi's husband died, and so did her two sons. Naomi is left with her daughter-in-laws, and she encourages them to go back to their families. So Orpah decides to go back, but Ruth says this to Naomi. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So Naomi and Ruth head back to Jerusalem. It's a powerful statement. You know, Ruth was actually a Moabite. The Jews hated the Moabites. They hated them. Um, there were all these rules associated with how to, how to treat Moabites. Ruth sees something in Naomi and says, you know what? I don't care what's going to happen there. I'm going to come after you. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. So they head back to, to, to Bethlehem. Naomi's broken, filled with grief, sadness of what's happened to her. The Bible says, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi means pleasant and gentle. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Notice the words that she's using to describe her life. Bitterness, affliction, misfortune. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt or used those kind of words to describe their life? So Naomi, together with Ruth, settled back in Bethlehem. It was wheat harvesting season. The harvesters would harvest the wheat, and there was some laws around that. Uh, so they, they would harvest, and, and then there would be some, some left over, and poor people could come along from the back and pick up what was left behind, pick up the leftovers. So Ruth begins to pick up the leftovers at the field of a man called Boaz. Now, as you read the story, it's a, actually a love story, uh, you find that he starts to take an interest in her and he leaves more wheat for her. They start texting each other. One thing leads to another and he wants to marry her. As you read the story, you find that uh, Boaz can't just marry her. There were some rules associated with all of this. He has to get permission from the elders of the city in order to be able to actually marry her. So he takes the matter to them uh, and then they decide whether the two of them can get married or not. And when it was approved, this is what they said to Boaz. Listen to this. Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. So Ruth marries Boaz and she has a baby. And the Bible says the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. In the place of affliction and brokenness, Bethlehem became a place of joy. And the story doesn't finish there because Ruth became the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find that in the genealogy of Jesus, in the midst of that, you'll find Ruth. Worship team, come. And I think it's a powerful story. It's a powerful story about grace. 
It's about, it's about a story that God, can, that God can use us no matter who we are. No matter what our past looks like, God can use us. No matter what our surname, our nationality. Some of us have used all kinds of things to say, well, God could never use me. Ruth is a powerful story because it reminds us that God can redeem us. And that through him can do great things through our lives. I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe, maybe your life has been characterized by pain and sadness and bitterness and affliction and misfortune. I want you to know that that doesn't have to be the story of your life. Bethlehem reminds us that God can still use the pain in our lives. Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, saving of many lives. That the place of greatest despair can become the place of greatest joy. That even in the pain, God can turn it and use it for his glory. Man, that's a, that's, that's, that's a story of the kingdom. It's a principle of the kingdom. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It doesn't say all things are good. It just says that God can use all things. Even our stupidest mistakes, even the things that have been done to us or the things that we've done. God can turn those situations around and use them for, your glory, for His glory. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. Some of us are filled with regrets. Some of us live our whole lives looking in the rearview mirror and always looking about what happened back there and, and we just can't seem to get past what happened back there. I want you to know that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, Bethlehem reminds us that God can take that stuff and He can use it for His glory. He can redeem it and use it in His kingdom. It's a powerful story. I wish we had the time where people could come up, tell their story about how God has turned their lives around. I know people would come and they, you don't know who I used to be. You don't know what I used to do. And one day I met Jesus and He changed my whole life. Here I am by the grace of God. Testimony of the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. One final thing that Bethlehem reminds us is that Bethlehem is the place where we find Jesus. Here we have the Magi. They were looking, seeking, searching for Jesus. We've come to worship Him. Can I tell you that God always reveals Himself to people that search for Him? And maybe you're here today and you're not sure about all of this. Kind of in church, it all sounds great, feels great. You just, you just sense, well, this could be it, but I'm not sure. Maybe you've got questions, doubts. Ne never be afraid of doubts because John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, had doubts. It's not about the doubts, it's what you do with them. Greatest thing that you can do with those doubts is bring them into the presence of God and just seek after God. Lord, I wanna know if you're real. Lord, I, I wanna know if you're real. If you're real, look, God, reveal yourself to me. Imagine I were looking, searching, seeking. You search and seek for God, you will find Him. He always reveals Himself to people that seek after Him. And they asked Herod, we don't know where to find this Jesus. Do you know where he might be? He's in Bethlehem. That's what the prophets had foretold. And so they went. And when they found Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped him. It's powerful. Powerful. I don't know what you're going through today. But maybe you feel like your life has no purpose whatsoever. Maybe you're just existing, going through the motions of life. It's one day after another. 
no reason to live, no, no motivation for the future. Maybe you feel like an absolute nothing, a nobody, insignificant. Maybe you're striving, working hard, looking for happiness and joy. Maybe you're thinking, man, if I can just get there, then. Maybe your life's been characterized by pain. I'm still amazed by some of the stories that I hear of people's lives when I just think it can't get any worse. Someone else comes along and just a story filled with pain. Bethlehem reminds us, God has a plan for our lives. 700 years before you were born. 700 years. God had written my plan for him, for her. God's got a plan for your life. Greatest thing you can do is just tap into that plan. Lord, I just thank you that you've got a plan for my life, Lord God. I thank you that I'm your workmanship. I thank you that before I was even born, you preordained a plan for my life. Use me for your glory. Bethlehem reminds us that God can use us, that He can fulfill the deepest longings of our soul, that He can turn our heartache into joy. And most of all, Bethlehem reminds us that it's a place where we can find Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Like the Magi, you, you've been searching for truth. And maybe just like the star led the Magi to Jesus, maybe God has brought you here today so that you could hear this message, so that you could come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and say, you think it's a bunch of coincidences. Actually, it's Jesus that's been leading you right here today. Pastor Joe, how can I begin a relationship with Jesus? All we need to do is invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life. Jesus came, He paid the price for our sins. And if we would give our life to Him, we can be saved. If we would just surrender our lives to Him, then we can, be, we can just invite Jesus to be our Lord and Savior can be saved. Some people say, Pastor Joe, I get everything you're saying. It's just this thing about sin. You know, I'm not perfect, but I haven't done anything bad. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm still a pretty good person. Not like the guy sitting next to me. Yeah, they need this message, but not me. I'm not perfect, but hey, I haven't done anything bad. A word for sin in the Bible is a word called lawlessness. Lawlessness. I'm sure you used that word this week in a sentence somewhere. You know, I mean, you were talking to someone. And you say, you're lawless. <laughs> Just worried about all the lawlessness in our society. Um, what is lawlessness? I'll tell you what it is. It's a, it's a desire to be in control. I've got to be in control. If I'm, if I'm in a car where someone's driving, I want to be the driver. Can I hear an amen somewhere out there? Somebody here. Salvation is essentially this. It's about saying, you know what? I'm going to give up the control and I'm going to let you be the driver of my life. That's, essential, that's at the core what it is. It's a saying, you know what? I'm not going to be in control anymore. I'm going to let you be in control of my life. It's saying, you be the driver of my life. Pastor Joe, well then what do we do? We pray a simple prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for doing life my way. I want to give my life to you today. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Bethlehem, above all else, is a place where we find Jesus. Will you stand with me?
Maybe someone here today, you've never, ever given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do that today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If there's no one, that's cool. But I want to give you an opportunity to do that. A few, a few weeks ago, we had um, uh, Vicky Simpson share here at the church. How many people remember Vicky Simpson shared a powerful word? You can hear it on podcast. Um, you know what she said? She said, um, when she was far from God, um, one day she said, oh, you know, I want to go to church and it was Christmas. First service she went to was a Christmas day service like this one here. She heard a message like this, gave her life to Jesus Christ. She was never the same again. God's used her in a powerful way throughout all of our nation and even the nations of the world. So I want every eye closed, every head bowed. You've never ever given your life to Jesus. You want to do that today. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to do anything other than that. I just want you to just lift your hand and say, Pastor Joe, you include me in that prayer. And you can put it right back down again. And I'm going to include you in that prayer. So if that's you, just put your hand up and you can put it right back down again. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There's somebody else you've, you've, uh, you've, you've, something in the message really, really touches. I want, I want, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to do that. Thank you, sir. There's someone in the balcony. Never given your life to Jesus. Somebody else, just another moment. It's an important moment for some people. You're making a decision that has eternal implications in the name of Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand up. Put it right back down again. In the name of Jesus. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to serve you all the days of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. My Savior. Be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Father, I just thank you. For this day, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for every individual here. And I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, as we spend time with our families today and as we to different activities that we will reflect on Bethlehem and what the message means to us. And I pray that because of these truths, our lives will be lived different today. Be glorified today, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.